what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, founder and executive director of the nonprofit ACAP Community, the community of adult children of aging parents. There now are between 10 and 15 million adult children in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and trying to plan for their own life as they age. In this podcast, we are going to be talking about one of the sticky subjects when it comes to caring for aging parents, sibling dynamics. The relationship between an adult child and aging parent is built built on decades of history between them. But the relationship between adult siblings also has long history. As parents age and begin to need care, sometimes unresolved family issues may surface. So in this podcast, we're going to explore ways to care for aging loved ones as a more balanced family union. Bob Kane is my, co- my co-interviewer. Bob is the Vice President of Marketing for Piedmont Home Care in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and has worked in the senior health and housing industry for 20 years. Bob also is the Chapter Coordinator for our ACAP chapter in Winston-Salem, ACAP Winston-Salem. Hi, Bob. How are you? Hi, Francis. I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Glad you're here. And Bob and I are being joined by Alyssa Szymanski-Bott. Alyssa is a licensed clinical mental health counselor at the J. Paul Stick Center on Aging in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is affiliated with Wake Forest Baptist Health. Alyssa earned a double master's degree in divinity and clinical mental health counseling from Wake Forest. She also has passed boards to be awarded the National Certified Counselor designation, demonstrating that she has met high standards for the practice of counseling. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Francis. Thank you so much. It's an incredible pleasure. Thank you. Bob, you want to start it off? Alyssa, hi. Let's uh, start with some basics. As a therapist that works with families, can you give us a little bit of information about how families work and what counseling research specifically has discovered about families and family dynamics? Sure. Well, the first thing we know is that families function like a system, and therefore we refer to them as family systems. And when we talk about how the family system works, it's very similar to how businesses, churches, the government, and other systems work as well. So in order to understand um, 
how systems work, there are three concepts that I think that people need to understand, and that's explicit rules, implicit rules, and how systems change those rules. <laughs> so I'm going to start first by just explaining the rules. So families have both explicit and implicit rules. Explicit rules are things that are explicitly stated, whereas implicit rules are things that are never said but are implied by the culture of the system. You know, for example, at the hospital where I work, which is a system, the explicit rules are stated in the employee handbook, right? There are policies and procedures. But my department has some implicit rules too, like turn off the lights when you leave a room. Now, no one has ever said this to me, but after so many times of leaving a room with a light turned on, I picked up that generally this is frowned upon in the department that I work in and have started following this implicit rule myself. So in the same way, families also have explicit rules. This can be something like no food allowed in the bedroom, <laughs> but they also have implicit rules. And these implicit rules are not spoken about and often lead to family roles, but also family conflict. Um, so for example, in many families, mom might play the role of peacekeeper in the family. Now, no one has said to mom, mom, you are expected to keep the peace and help us solve all of our issues when we have them. But for whatever reason, maybe it's because of mom's personality, because of cultural expectations placed on women, because no one else in the family would be a good peacekeeper, etc. This is a role that mom has fallen into. And now that um, she is there in that peacekeeping role, it's almost expected by everyone in the family system, including mom, that when there's a problem between two people in the family, mom's going to help mediate it. So now I've told you about explicit and implicit roles. I now need to talk about change. And the most important thing that the research shows us about systems and change is that they do not like to change. <laughs> even if the change is good for them, even if the change would improve the system as a whole, change is so very difficult for systems, including families. And what this means is that the players in the system very often go to great lengths to keep things the same, even if they can't articulate why. So when someone tries to change the explicit rules, or even worse, the implicit rules and roles, which no one talks about, a lot of tension develops in the family system. And so families will go to great lengths to keep things the same. Obviously, this is a huge challenge when it comes to talking about caring for our aging parents, because there are a lot of rules that are changing, and they're changing pretty rapidly. Yeah, when you were talking a minute ago, Alyssa, about mom being the peacemaker, and I'm thinking, so what if she is no longer able to serve in that role? Then there's that void and the adult children, the kids step in and sometimes don't, because they don't have the experience, they sometimes don't get it very, they don't do it very well. Absolutely. It's a huge challenge. And even those explicit rules like no food in the bedroom, what happens if mom or dad has dementia and starts hiding food in the bedroom? It can be really a big deal, not just because the behavior is challenging, but because it feels like it's turning that family system upside down. Right, right. And I was thinking about the, the, uh, 
value in the roles. You know, when you think of a role in a family, and like you said, peacekeeper, you think of the angel, you know, these positive kind of roles, the, you know, the, the doer, the one who's getting the things done, uh, checking off the boxes, but there are negative roles, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. lazy one, and usually that's not a self-identified role. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it gets even more complex when we realize how many implicit rules there are and how many roles that each of us are carrying in our own family systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've heard of family systems before, but I think this is the best explanation that I've ever heard of of that, of what that means and how that impacts everyone um, and how those changes can be very difficult. And as you say, holy smokes, when um, when mom or dad gets sick or when they are aging, whether there's dementia or not, there things shift and that can be enormously difficult. So Alyssa, talking about all of that, um, and, and thinking about families who are in the midst of apparent, apparent aging and potentially declining, what are some of the questions that families and siblings in particular need to be discussing before they get there or definitely while they're in the middle of taking care of an aging parent? Well, there's a lot of things that I would consider big ticket items related to caregiving that all families should be discussing. Um, I mean, I think some of these include financial care. How are we paying for what we're doing? Um, Daily care and help, you know, who's doing the grocery shopping, who's doing the cleaning, who's going to run errands, things like that. Medical care, you know, who's, who's helping mom or dad manage all of their doctor's appointments and staying on top of their medications, as well as living arrangements. You know, can mom and, or dad or both continue to live where they are, um, or do they need to move somewhere else, or what kind of help do we need to make that happen? But in spite of all those big ticket items that I think every family should be discussing, you know, based on what I've just, you know, kind of, we've talked about family systems, I really think that all discussions between siblings should be starting with these explicit rules and implicit rules, because it's really hard to talk about finances and medical care if we're not acknowledging that elephant in the room, which is these roles that our family is expecting us to play, the expectations they have before we even start having the conversation. You know, so some of the things that I would coach families um, through in terms of talking about is what are the explicit rules that our family has had? What are the implicit rules that our family has had? Who do we expect before we even begin this conversation to provide hands-on care? Who do we expect to provide financial support? Who are we expecting to interact the best with dad or, you know, to, to keep dad in line if dad's not listening to our recommendations? Who do we anticipate mom calling the most for help? You know, questions like these can help us take um, both the spoken and unspoken roles of our childhood and teenage years and adult years and pull them into the present. And once a family can clear the air about what all those previous expectations of each family member have been, (laughs) they can typically move forward with talking about those big ticket items related to caregiving. Um, without as much pressure and without as much of that um, subtext that happens so much in family systems. 
I love hearing the question framed that way. Yes. What are the expected um, um, things ahead of time? That excellent way to frame that. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's you know how it works <laughs> when it works or supposed to work. But as a counselor, folks come to you because it's not working right. So, what are some of the most common um, impingement points or, or issues with siblings that you see as a counselor? Could you give us some examples of that? Right. Well, it's hard to boil down to just a few because, you know, families are so diverse and the and the history and the relationships that they bring are so diverse. However, I would say there's probably about three roles, role issues that I see that happens in families pretty commonly um, that I think would be reassuring to hear that, oh, this happens in other families too. Um, so, you know, the first Uh, issue I see that happens a lot is where one sibling essentially becomes the primary care provider and either has no help from other family members or does not allow help from other family members. Mm -hmm. Um, And I call this kind of the caretaker rule. And so it's not uncommon for this person to be the oldest child or more specifically the oldest daughter, remember, because we're talking about role. Right. And very often (laughs) older children in their childhood were kind of put, right, as to be the people that to take care of things. So it's not uncommon to revert to that role as we age. Um, So particularly daughters have a lot of implicit rules placed on them on how they're supposed to be this caretaker. And so in this situation, there are usually two big problems that develop. Either this caretaker sibling really wants help and a disproportionate burden of care is on them and it fosters a lot of resentment onto their relationships with other family members, maybe even with their parents just because they're burnt out. Or I see kind of the opposite. Sometimes this caretaker sibling gets offered help by the family system but refuses to take it because they just can't let go of that implicit rule that they're supposed to do everything and take care of everything by themselves. And either way, this role is just particularly problematic because this sibling is going to get burned out, you know, Um as much as family systems can create a whole lot of problems, they can also create a whole lot of support. (laughs) Um, So another situation I see a lot is what I call the scapegoat. (laughs) And I think this is where one sibling gets, um, you know, designated and pressured by the family to take care of mom or dad for some reason. Um, It could be because they don't have a job, like maybe they're retired or on disability Or perhaps they don't have a place to live, so the family sees it as a convenient solution, like so-and-so can just move in with mom and dad. Um, Or a lot of times this this person becomes a scapegoat because they're not married or they don't have children. Right, right. And this is really tough because... um, it's usually everyone in the family system except the person that's the scapegoat agrees <laughs> that this person has the life availability to do the family's job of taking care of someone. Um, and as you can well imagine, this leads to a lot of problems. Um, I mean, first, I see that it's not uncommon for the family to not recognize how difficult caregiving can be. And it, it creates this um, dynamic where the family acts as if um, the family is doing the scapegoat a favor by allowing them to provide care. 
Um, I say, think of it like, well, you're getting free rent out of it. So what's the issue? Or it's not like you had anything better to do anyway. And I, as you can imagine, when you're in a really tough situation and feel like you need help and support, and then someone were to cut or the family were to act like <laughs> um, that it, this should just be your joy and pleasure. <laughs> um, I mean, it makes you, it leaves you feeling very isolated and alone. And it, it doesn't recognize that caregiving can be exceptionally difficult and require a lot of sacrifice. Um, and I think especially if it's tied to being unmarried or being childless, that can also make the scapegoat feel like the other family members don't value or respect their life choices, right? <laughs> and that they're being used. Um, so I see the caretaker a lot. I see the scapegoat a lot. And I think the final situation that I probably see the most of is um, what I call the denier. And this is where one sibling actively avoids having conversations about mom and dad or denies altogether that they're having any issues. Um, you know, sometimes this is because the sibling just isn't around enough and interacting enough to see the daily challenges. You know, oftentimes this person might live across the country or in a, a different state. So they're not having that kind of exposure to whatever challenges mom or dad is having. And then other times it's really about grief. Um, family members in a family system all deal with grief in their own um, ways. And very often denial of problems is a way to avoid grief. I don't have to be sad about mom or dad declining if I don't acknowledge that they actually are declining in some way. And so, like I said, there's a lot of different scenarios I see, but these are probably the three most common that come into my office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that really resonates with conversations that that I'm sure Bob, as well as I have had with with people who are part of ACAP, and and quite honestly, I see myself in some of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, when I was caring for my mother in particular, that that um, yeah, there are several of those I go, mm, yeah, that that uh, I remember those those days and those moments and those concerns and tensions and um, mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. yeah. You brought your mirror, Alyssa. You're not supposed to shine it at us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is that we, even myself as a, as a therapist, none of us are exempt from this yes. family systems work. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we all, we all um, have both our families of origin. That's the families we're born with that have their own roles. And then of course, many of us go on to create our own families that might look very, very similar or very, very different. And I think that pressure of these explicit and implicit rules we're never going to get away from. So the more that we can talk about them and acknowledge that they're there, the more that creates a pathway for us forward to face any challenge that the family system might encounter. This is starting to sound like one of those take responsibility for yourself things. (laughs) (laughs) Put put your own oxygen mask on first. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Okay, so Alyssa, then, you know, you've brought us to the point of kind of shining a light on these roles. What can we do either personally or for a sibling we care, we truly care about? How can we not only shine the light, but help, you know, help move people away from those almost rigid roles that are really can mm-hmm. be very detrimental? Mm-hmm. Well, I think something that Bob said, you know, really resonates, and that's shining a light on yourself first. It's really hard to get um, 
other people to engage in work that we're not willing to do ourselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, so, you know, one of the questions that I have people that I'm working with who are caregiving for a parent think about as sort of like a self-reflective tool is, am I being pulled back into my childhood role, even though we are all adults now? (laughs) (laughs) That's a million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, and this is, you know, like I said, nobody's exempt. Parents often create labels for their children and society is very quick to enforce them based on all kinds of factors, who was born first or last, who's a girl, who's a boy, who was more like mom or dad, etc. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Um, But just because the family system used to operate one way doesn't mean you need to operate that way now. And so, you know, if you were the responsible one as a child, it does not mean that you should accept doing everything because you always did. Mm -hmm. Um, In the same way, if you assume a brother or a sister is less capable or helpful because that's the way that you saw them as kids, you're less likely to get help from them when you need it. So the more that you can be asking yourself, am I and my siblings being pulled back into our childhood roles, even though we're all adults now, and what are they? It can help you identify what some of the primary issues are. So the other thing I would recommend to help um, break out of these family roles is the self-reflection question of asking yourself, what is it that I really want from my siblings? While many family conversations about caregiving are about tangible, practical tasks, very often there is this sub-layer of something more emotional and deep than what we're talking about, about what we really need from our siblings. So, for example, sometimes um, when we ask a sibling to do the grocery shopping for mom or dad, what we really want is for them to care enough to have weekly interactions with our parents. (laughs) Or, for example... Um, when we're looking, we're looking for a sibling to volunteer help rather than have to be asked. So a lot of times families get caught up, right? In this like, okay, who's doing what and who gets assigned to what? But when you take that minute to pause and say, what is it I really want from my siblings? It can help us identify what will also truly help the family system move forward. Right. Not just who's going to pay the bills or stay with mom and dad in the hospital, but what is it that these relationships that we have need and how can I express that to them? Yeah. And that sounds a little bit like not only a question of how do I get everyone involved so that one person isn't doing it all, but it all, it also sounds like a really loving question of wanting that other sibling to have every opportunity to be involved for their own sake. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think it helps us like identify what the true need or the fear is in the sense of, um, you know, is it, do I want to be appreciated? Do I want more help and support? Do I just want to know that help and support is there? while I actually take care of whatever it is I need to do, right? And and the same thing from our, like I said, um, doing the work yourself also provides the opportunity 
you know, for you to model to your siblings, <laughs> you know, this is really what I need from you. What do you really need from me? This yeah. deeper level of conversations about caregiving that just aren't about the list. Which yeah. many families just don't get to. I mean, going back to your, you know, implicit, explicit, that sounds like one of those implicit kind of things where uh, folks at hospice talk about anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. And that's working toward, hey, one of our, one or both of our parents are leaving our family. What will our family be once that happens? And what mm-hmm. does it mean to everybody? So I love that question. Right, right, right. You know, I'm also, Bob, I know you've heard me say this, that in ACAP, one of the sort of mantras that we have is that it doesn't matter what our education is, our career, our background, anything. When it's your mother, your father, your loved one, it's different. Yeah. And, and as we're talking about this, it feels like what that, that there really are two parts of that, that not only is it that it's different for that individual caregiver and the intensity of all that's involved with um, with caring for an aging parent, but that it also um, that, that it also moves out into the family system, into the yeah. family dynamics, yeah. and that when it's our mother, our father, yes. our loved one, it is it is it becomes very different. It's not an academic kind of thing anymore, and that it yes. impacts all of us. And I think that's yes. one of the things about family systems is that what impacts one impacts all. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And I think that's why we kind of start with talking about the family like a system, because much like, you know, going back to if another department in the hospital makes a change, it may not explicitly affect me, but it may, but it's definitely going to implicitly affect me. And that, that interconnectedness, that even if we have a sibling or we ourselves feel disconnected from the family system, we're still interconnected with it. We can never fully separate and detach and neither can our siblings from what's happening. And so the more that we're able to look at it from that view and see how interconnected we truly are, even if we're disagreeing or even if there's high conflict, I think the more you have that emotional closeness and connectedness, no matter what caregiving challenges arise. Yeah. 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 Alyssa, you've laid the groundwork for a lot of this, both emotional and um, kind of task-oriented, if you will. Uh, are there some other strategies that you found successful or you use advising folks on struggling with their siblings to take care of the parents? Absolutely. Um So, you know, the first strategy I think I recommend is quite simple, and this is because I am a counselor, but I think acknowledging and validating your own experience and feelings, you know, is just the beginning of all the other strategies. All families have challenges, but it is particularly difficult and sometimes extremely emotional to find yourself in the middle of a challenge and and, and one that involves the whole family. So the more that you can acknowledge how the family might be struggling or how you personally may be struggling the more you'll be able to move forward with any of the other strategies I'm about to talk about. Mm -hmm. But second, I would definitely try to set up a family meeting and keep scheduling them on a semi-regular basis. Obviously, if there are family members that are out of town, every week is not possible. But the goal is to have an initial meeting and to have some sort of follow-up. And I think the rules for these family meetings are simple. 
um, whether they're virtual or in person. So the first rule is that everyone is invited, which means we never exclude anyone. <laughs> it's this basic premise of acknowledging that everybody is part of the system. And it's definitely, I have seen times where a sibling may decline and say no, but I think operating from the premise that we're always going to offer to include them and give them an invitation to be a part of the process, no matter what they say or do, is important. Um, and then as part of that family meeting, I think it's really important, as I mentioned before, to take the opportunity to name the roles and expectations we feel the family or other siblings are placing on us and to get it out in the open <laughs> um, and to give them the opportunity to do the same. It can be so freeing to say, I feel like everybody expects me to pay all the bills because I make the most money in the family. <laughs> and and just to lay that out there and maybe and 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 have the opportunity for siblings to say no, we don't think that at all. You know, like that's not something we or yes, that is what we expected, but now we've at least we've got it out on the table so it's not um that underlayer that's not being discussed in terms of implicit rules. And then I think as part of that family meeting, it's also important to give each person a chance to identify what they feel mom or dad's needs are, including mom and dad. So, um, you know, people have different views of what the needs even are. <laughs> so by establishing this baseline of this is what people are, I think, are expecting of me. This is what I think the needs are. And then moving to the next step of giving everyone the chance to name what they think their strengths are or what they feel they can contribute to care. That is this beautiful, you know, moment of kind of laying everything out there on the table <laughs> um, that allows that creative problem solving to happen. And these kinds of regular family meetings give everyone that opportunity to lay out what they think the facts are about what the needs of the family are, but also what their expected role and desired role should be. Yeah. And then, you know, finally, my last strategy would be to ask for professional assistance. Um, there are many families for whom a family meeting, <laughs> even on a regular basis, is just not going to solve much of anything because there's such high conflict, because there's a lot of negative past history, and they are, and I think by bringing in professional assistance, it sometimes helps family members to be on their best behavior, knowing that another mm -hmm. presence is in the room, right. but as well to have that third party kind of intervening and making sure that these goals and these rules of the family meeting are being kept um, and, and, and instead of letting the system derail the progress just because it doesn't want to change. Mm -hmm. Talk more about that, Alyssa. Talk talk about the kind of professionals that you might get involved. Where people can find those professionals? Who you know? Who do they turn to if if they decide you know? Yeah, we're we're seeing our family in this mm -hmm. uh, you know great concept, but how in the world? Mm -hmm. How do, how in the world do we do this? And I'm not so sure about our doing this as a family. And so they want to reach out to a professional. Where would they go to find that person? Sure, there's a lot of different professionals out there and a lot of different um, support options. Um, you know, to begin, I think it's important to have professional assessments of what's happening with your parents and their conditions and what their current needs are to aid in care planning. 
So obviously, whoever this professional is varies based on what your parents are experiencing. You know, it could be a geriatrician, it could be a neurologist, a cardiologist, a primary care doctor. Um, But you need to have somebody on your team that is highly skilled and completely objective in medical care that can report to the entire family on what their professional assessment about where your parent or parents are in terms of their health and what challenges that they see in caring for them. And having that as part of your team, it just establishes a baseline of facts that the family Mm -hmm. can work with. We might disagree about how to meet these needs, but at least we have these, you know, this professional, it's not just, um, for example, Susie saying that mom's memory is having some trouble. We have an actual geriatric assessment that says that she has a probable Alzheimer's disease. That, that changes. Then it's, it takes it off of Susie's opinion and what Susie thinks and puts it in, puts that in the hand of the professionals. Gotcha. Um, and then the next professional I would look for is someone like myself, um, a licensed clinical mental health counselor, a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed family and marriage therapist. All of these are just different names for people that are mental health providers, and they can help individuals and families cope with really high conflict. Um I always want to say beyond getting the family help, it's really important if you're feeling isolated or chronically feeling stressed that you have someone to be completely on your side in a non-judgmental way to help you think clearly about what's happening in the family and what you need and help you develop skills to cope with the interpersonal problems and frustrations that are coming up. But on many of these health mental health providers also make a habit of working with families and they can be that third party that helps mediate family meetings or even delves into deeper family therapy to help the family identify the explicit and implicit roles that are creating problems now. So you also asked the question of how can you find (laughs) this person? How can you find someone to help you? Uh Um, Well, one option is to call your insurance company. Most insurance companies Mm -hmm. keep comprehensive lists, yes, of mental health providers in your area that are covered by them. Now, I will say on the downside, the list is usually extensive. And so you're going to have to do your own process to sort of look these people up and vet them to see if they're a good fit for you or for your family. Um. And also if they're, if they're more appropriate to work with you as an individual or work with the family as a whole. Another good option for finding a counselor or a therapist, if you don't want to go through your insurance company, is to go to a website like Psychology Today, which is where mental health care providers put up profiles of um, themselves and what kind of work they do and what insurance they accept. And it's very easy to use a website like that to put in your zip code, your insurance, um, and what kinds of therapy you're looking for, like family therapy or somebody that works with Mm -hmm. cancer, you know, or has knowledge of it. And that website will not only pull up those providers, but can kind of help you figure out, hey, which of these is really going to meet my family's needs? Mm-hmm. And I think another good option is to ask your healthcare provider if they know someone or a program specifically that can help. You know, so for example, at Wake Forest Baptist Health, one of the programs that's offered is the Memory Counseling Program, which is a bunch of mental health providers that work solely with caregivers and families of persons with dementia and neurocognitive disorders. But that same hospital also has a cancer support program, and they also have mental health care providers on staff to help families who are caring for someone with cancer. 
So I think sometimes looking at your healthcare system and saying, hey, is there anybody out there that knows what mom or dad is going through (laughs) and that might have a a support program connected to it in some way that I can get help and resources and education to better care for mom and dad? that's that's another option in terms of trying to find the help and support you need. That's really good information. And I'm thinking um, that the Area Agency on Aging also uh, often will have somebody um, who is a family caregiver support specialist who may have some additional resources. Yes. Absolutely. You're, uh, and uh, Bob could probably speak to this as well. But yeah, those those area agencies are super important. And a lot of times, um, your agencies that are receiving government funding um, in order to help aging individuals will also possibly know what's local to you in the area. So I know yeah. for where we are that agency is called Senior Services, but looking That's for right. sort of a, a an, a nonprofit agency that likely gets government funding <laughs> in order to work with older adults is a good place to start in asking for, like, these are the challenges my family is facing. Do you know any mental health providers, medical care providers, anybody that can help our family navigate this particular caregiving situation? Um, right, are wonderful right. resources to help you plug into what's local. And who has expertise in whatever challenges your family may be facing in terms of providing care because the caregiving situations are so diverse in what people need. Absolutely. Each one, it's like all of the caregiving situations are the same and all the caregiving situations are completely unique. Yes. (laughs) It's a both and. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so I know that I've had... um, for example, people contact me in the community to say, hey, I know you don't do this, but do you know someone that is very knowledgeable about Parkinson's disease or very knowledgeable about multiple sclerosis and could help this family? And I think just any any opportunity to connect into that network will open up um, a wide variety of resources you probably couldn't find in just a Google search. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, you, Alyssa, you have given some great information. And one of the things that that I think all of us could do is to listen to this podcast again and really write down sort of the questions that you have suggested that we ask, either ask ourselves or ask a family member or ask a, a physician or, a, you know, that you basically have organized this in such a way that it is very workable, doable information that we can take away from it. So thank you for that. Um, and, and so much of what you have talked about, particularly a little earlier in the podcast, are podcasts and programs that ACAP has, like five legal mm-hmm. documents everyone needs. And what about falls? And what about, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, some of the things that you didn't specifically mention, but, uh, but, you know, ACAP is, is just has so many programs and podcasts on the kinds of things you've talked about that could give some additional resources before or in the process of getting to somebody to help the family really navigate all of this. 
So Absolutely. Well, no, you're welcome. I was going to say, we, we briefly mentioned those big ticket items of right, caregiving, right, right. and we didn't get much into it today because we're talking more about the family element, yeah. but I, I completely agree with you. ACAP is a wonderful resource for delving into that, you know, practical, tangible next steps for some of those big ticket items, like you said, like legal planning and financial planning and how to provide hands-on daily care. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Just just had to had to reference that. Yes. <laughs> but but I am sure this is great information, and I'm sure lots of people and lots of families will benefit. Thank you so much, and Bob, thank you for bringing for being here and bringing your incredible background to this podcast. Thank you, Francis. I, I am just chuckling to myself because, uh, as you know, Alyssa did this talk for our Winston Salem chapter. Uh, not long ago. And so when we uh, asked, you know, who should go on our podcast, it was like hands down, Alyssa. She's so great. And she's proved that again today. And uh, I was also chuckling when you said writing down questions. I'm planning to review this podcast with my wife, not because I'm (laughs) on it, but because Alyssa is. And I was writing down questions that I need to go back and flesh out. So she is so, so good. We really appreciate you, Alyssa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you both. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Well, we also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us. We hope this conversation has helped you become more aware of ways you and your siblings may work together to make sure your mom and dad have what they need and that you have what you need as as a family. We also hope you have gained insights for strengthening the relationship with your siblings during this caregiving journey. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of their work as well as more caregiver community podcasts on any of the platforms you use to listen to podcasts. You also can find it on our ACAP website, which is www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents, and as well as our local chapters. We've referenced Winston-Salem, but we have four other chapters at this point, and we are growing. Um, But to learn more about our chapters and our educational programs. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast, Alyssa and Bob, and thank you all for listening to this edition of the Caregiver Community. Stay safe. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.